So um, <clears throat> maybe we can say that we're we're one aspect of this mindfulness vipassana practice where we're um, deconstructing 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 ourselves deconstructing um, suffering deconstructing the the sense of um, what we take to be the kind of headquarters or home base within self. And we're shining the light of awareness on that to see that part of what we take to be as me is, is actually just a kind of bundle of thinking and assumption. And we're deconstructing suffering. We're taking apart the different strands of experience to see what it is that creates the sense of this moment being a burden on my heart. To actually tease apart. One of my teachers, Shinzen Young, would talk about sort of teasing apart the strands of experience. And to find that what feels like too much, what feels all wrong, is a kind of tangle of experiences. There is hope and fear and bracing and clinging. And so a lot of this practice is deconstruction. But also reconstruction, reconstructing ourselves, making them out of love. And that's the uh, these afternoon sessions revolve around uh, around love so sometimes I, I think about I think about love as as almost like our nervous system longing for the Dharma Something very simple, intuitively knowing the the urgency of nonviolence, the dead end of hatred, maybe soothing for a moment, but we know it's a dead end. We can just sense that in our tissues. And so, um, maybe we say we choose love, but honestly it feels like more like just out of necessity. 
Life is just way, way too much to bear without a lot of love. The the character of the love that we speak here is um, is said to be said to be boundless, boundless, boundless or measureless. measureless in the sense that there's nothing outside of it. There's nothing like on the other side of this love. But also measureless in the sense that we're like very actively stepping out of the the habit of measuring. Measuring self. Measuring other measuring time. So this is a very free kind of love. The the four divine abodes, divine abidings, um, loving kindness, metta, compassion, Karuna, joy, sympathetic joy, mudita, and upeka, uh, equanimity. And I've heard different teachers organize these in different ways, but um, maybe we can say that um, that metta is love in the face of goodness. Compassion is love in the face of suffering. Joy is love in the face of happiness, well-being. And equanimity is love in the face of the endlessness of suffering. It's not cold. It's love in the face of the the endless, ungovernable nature of samsara, this this realm. And so we're we're familiar with the kinds of love that are bound up in one way or another with control. And I get that. But when our love gets bound up with control, we suffer, cause suffering. Thich Nhat Hanh says, um, true love never makes you suffer. A very interesting line, true love never makes you suffer. We all know the suffering of love of one kind or another. And just to consider, okay, true love never makes you suffer. 
But this is not a grief-free path of love. This is a love that is deeply informed by loss. The love uninformed by grief is a naive love. And so this is a, this is a grown-up love. For me, um, just in this in this time, in these these kind of cycles, these different seasons of uh, of grieving in this country, in the world, one of the effects of that is that I, I've become so sensitive to goodness. You know, just like. Just a little bit of it makes me cry. And metta, it's love and kindness, maybe it begins when we are moved by our own goodness. moved by your own goodness. I don't even want to define or say what what that goodness is, but you just sensing in and actually being moved by it. And when we... um, when we really dwell in that, um, when we get that kind of in our bones, it becomes really hard to hate ourselves. Even for all our foibles and neurosis and unskillfulness, it becomes really hard to hate ourselves. And we um, also start to see that goodness in the eyes of others. Sometimes that's all we see, really. So this makes hatred much, much less tenable. Just a couple more things and we'll we'll practice. Um, loving kindness practice, all these Brahmaviras, um, uh, they they function in at least three ways, as far as I can tell. So they function as a, a kind of cultivation practice where we're cultivating metta, we're cultivating this love that can't go wrong, this love that um, does not seek to own anything. And 
you know, sometimes just just a moment of it is uh, can just a moment of really dwelling in that way can puncture a bubble of a day or a year or a life of uh, suffering. Michelle uh, Michelle McDonald, teacher of mine. Um, describe this one yogi who couldn't couldn't feel loving kindness for herself, couldn't feel it, kept practicing retreat after retreat, year after year, I think decade after decade. And then one time during a silent meditation retreat, just like this, Michelle hears this yogi yell out, I could feel it for myself. I could feel the love for myself. Don't do that, but <laughs> just inside. Yeah. But one moment, just this kind of like deep appreciation of, for me, I'm, I'm always drawn to the word innocence, like the innocence of our longing. So cultivation, sometimes concentration. We don't feel much. We don't feel uh, the love is not flowing. It doesn't feel embodied or something. But we just keep pouring the attention into the phrases and the mind maybe gets very quiet. You know, sometimes just... I did a month-long retreat, where, which was basically composed of three words. Safe, happy, peace. And just let the mind gather around that. And so the metta doesn't have to be some, uh, you know, intense feeling, it may be that, maybe kind of very um, effervescent, bubbly kind of, but it may be just very quiet, very quiet. So cultivation, concentration, and then, uh, and then purification. And so uh, for many people, these practices around love act essentially as a magnet that draws to the surface that which has not been loved yet. That makes sense? Pulls to the surface the apparent opposite. But there's something about this heart practice that um, makes uh, space for what needs to be felt, to be felt. And so it's not, uh, it's not an accident and the practice has not gone wrong if as we 
invoke words of love and feel anger or grief, confusion, numbness, just uh, trust that um, this purification side of heart practice is one of the ways that we, uh, we are freed up. There are many ways for this practice to go right. Let's, uh, let's sit together. Maybe considering what it would be like if I asked you to sit as if you could do no wrong. As if every movement of your mind and heart and body had a complete blessing to be what it is.
you're not pitting one part of yourself against another. Not indicting yourself for your imagined sins. Or how you think you're doing. Or how you think you've done. Radical nonviolence with respect to the totality of your experience.
What would uh, the Dalai Lama, someone like that, what would they see if they looked in your eyes? Whatever they would see, just anchor the attention there for a moment. Maybe starts to feel natural, appropriate to uh, offer yourself a kind of uh, blessing. May. I'd be happy. I'd be safe and protected. May I be at peace. It's like we ring a bell with these words and then listen to the reverberations in our body. Not sure what we'll hear. Doesn't matter what we hear. Just ring this bell, these gentle words. 
They're not so much a prayer about some future as a way of touching into the radicality of the heart now. Going gently, not forcing, finding your own language. May I be happy. Safe, protected. May I be at peace.
Not always the case, but often suffering, absorption in our suffering as a kind of contracted, small feeling, claustrophobic. The expansiveness of of love comes as a relief. What we called our life dissolves into that field. What we called the other dissolves too. Metta. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.